Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, start playing. You got that wired for sound? What are you doing here? I'm having a little conversation. You're listening to a radio station. Every wire, every airway. Hey, it's Bradley. Bradley. Don't I just want to talk some more? Brad's a machine. Oh, he really means it, Brad. Hello, Elway's on Bradley. You're on the air. I just want to talk some more. Call 617-254-1030 to join in. Because he's a man on air. Jay talking. That busy man, Jay talk show. I want to talk to him, tell him the way things are. On WBZ. You are Jay talking. We're live midnight to five. Bradley Jay here. Some time ago, I watched a frontline documentary called the Facebook dilemma, and it blew me away. It's so important that you know how Facebook works and the risks involved with the business model. I asked my producer, Karen, you sent me to uh, try to locate Rand Waltzman, who's featured in the documentary, and she did. He's with us now, and it's significant that someone from the Rand Corporation would be featured in a Facebook documentary. Rand Corporation is an American nonprofit global think tank Created back in 1948 by Douglas Aircraft Company to offer research and analysis to the armed forces. Financed by the U.S. government and private endowment corporations, universities, and private individuals. And we really thank you for being here, sir. You're welcome. In addition to being involved with Rand Corporation and the uh, documentary, you uh, were the program manager for the Defense Advanced Research Projects and Agency of the U.S. Department of Defense. The Facebook mantra is to make, thing hap- make things happen and apologize later. Does at some point this become a problem and maybe even a national security risk? Uh, well, the problem with, I mean, here's the problem. Facebook it turns out to also be an excellent platform for doing sort of manipulation of the public. Okay, and that's where it starts to become a national security risk. And the manipulation can be done by, well, basically anybody, any number of players. You know, the government likes to focus on foreign players, but, you know, we, we have no shortage of domestic players here as well. So, you know, the, the, the thing of it is this introduces, this is what I would call sort of the democratization of weapons of mass disruption. So basically anybody can play for a small amount of money and can really wreak havoc if they know what they're doing. So that's that, that's that's sort of the basis of the problem. Okay. The assumption for some right, is that tech makes the world a better place and always will. Always has, always will. That was a mantra there too. And the Facebook documentary the the Facebook dilemma documentary says this philosophy masked some very dark things. What were some of these dark things? Well, this is what I'm saying that it it presents opportunities for manipulating the public. I mean there's no there's no such thing as a technology hardly which which isn't the two-edged which, which isn't really a two-edged sword. I mean, even if you look at medicine, right? I mean, a medicine, any kind of pharmaceutical, has a therapeutic window. If you take the drug within the therapeutic window, it does the job. If you take too little, it has no effect. If you take too much, it can be poisonous. So, I mean, this is true about anything, basically. So, I mean, you can't really single the, you know, technology out, any specific technology out for that reason. 
Okay. So everything has risks, risks and rewards. There's no risk, there's no reward. I mean, that's just how life works. All right. The, uh, Section 230, Communication Decency Act, uh, does, it says that Internet companies can be held responsible for what's posted. Is, is it important to change that? Well, the problem is that these things aren't, you know, it isn't really so straightforward. I mean, how do you enforce this kind of thing? I mean, if you look, for example, to the GDPR, this is the general data protection rules that have been passed in the European Union. So they're very strict, and there's all kinds of, you know, ideas about what companies should do, but and how will they ever check? How will they, how will they actually enforce it in any rational way? And so far, they, they don't have any. So what's so, the answer, to have the users be aware of the dangers and think twice about using it? Uh, yes, I'm afraid so. It's Yes, the users, the users have to either... They either have to be provided with tools to help them navigate the environment, or you know, like, yes, I mean, that's really basically what it is. They have to they have to be provided with the right kind of tools, and unfortunately, the kind of tools that you know are going to be necessary are involve a significant amount of automation because, well, most people aren't going to be able to just you know it's too much volume, there's too much stuff, there's too much variety, and you know no person just off the top of their head can really sort of navigate the kind of polluted information environment that's been created on their own. So, so it, they're going to have to have some kind of assistance. Is it fair to say that really, at the heart of it, Facebook is a data brokerage company? Well, I don't know what you mean by that. Well, it's it, their prime... I guess it's difficult to get in their head and see what their prime... Their business model, though, is in order to make money... They're selling da- advertising. Da- uh, okay. <laughs> Do they it's sell? Like, yeah, they sell advertising. Do they sell data? <laughs> no, they sell advertising. Okay, I was wondering if they also sold our data. Well, it's it's not. I don't think it's really that they sell data. It's that they it, it, they use the data as a basis for doing the advertising. The oh, okay. data is a tool to do advertising, but the customers, the customer, they don't give the customers, they don't give their customers the data necessarily. I don't, I don't really see that. I, it's they they help the customers. You know, to use the data that they have without giving it to them in order to to, to place the ad. Okay. But at the end of the day, it's all about advertising. So, I mean, that's the business. <laughs> they allow thirty third parties to develop third party apps, and as I understand, they had no control over the third party apps with access to F, uh, Facebook. And did they, did they did these developers have access to the, our personal information? Uh, so that's hard, I, you know that's hard to say. It depends on what kind of agreement they have with them, and it varies quite a bit. Okay. So I, it's it's very difficult to make any general statement about that. Let me get back to the the national security area. Mm-hmm. And initially, before our alleged election meddling, there was the Ukraine, and, and Russia used Facebook to destabilize the Ukraine. Can you explain how that worked? Traditionally, people have used propaganda, information operations, influence operations, you know, as a tool in warfare. And so this is just, you know, before people used, you know, television, radio, newspapers. And so now you have social media. And social media, what's different is that social media, the scale is much larger. So things can happen much faster, reach much further, you know, in a much, in a much less amount of time. Plus the fact that anybody can get in and play, right? Before the barrier to entry, this kind of business was really high, right? I mean, if you, you know, you didn't just open up a newspaper with 85 cents. I mean, this, this was, that was an expensive proposition. You didn't have a radio station, you didn't have a TV station, you didn't have anything. It was really expensive. But, you know, anybody can get on social media 
and start, uh, well, doing all sorts of things at, at very little cost. And I'll give you a specific example okay. uh, that happened recently in, in the fall, which I think is illustrative and, and is related somewhat to your specific question about uh, Crimea. Um, so every year, NATO has a big military exercise, and um, it's, it's called Trident Junction. And every year, they have this big exercise. And this year, in the fall, a couple of guys, just two people working part-time, decided to see how much could they disrupt the exercise. I mean, it was as part of the exercise, right? Mm-hmm. So, how much, for example, how much information, personal information, could they uncover about the participants and, the, you know, the soldiers in the exercise? How much could they uncover about information about the operations that were ongoing? And it turns out that two people, two people who spent a total of like $65 were able to uncover enormous amounts of information using, the, using Facebook. They had, they had several bogus Facebook pages. They made up a couple of fake personas. They had, um, you know, a number of tricks. That just, you know, and this was this wasn't their day job, right? I mean, these people had other kinds of work to do, so they just kind of did this as a hobby on the side, and they were able to, you know, fish an enormous amount of information out of the whole operation. So related so to that this, gives you some, yeah, related to this in the documentary, well, it talks about a small town in Macedonia for, where, for some reason, <laughs> about two hundred yeah. people, about two hundred people in a tiny town in Macedonia, started making big dollars, like two hundred thousand euro, fact, quickly. By setting up a website, uh, an account, excuse me, and simply generating lots of uh, follows and shares, etc., by talking about Trump and Hillary, and then monetizing that because they had so many, and and they made uh, all kinds of money. But in the meantime, they're posting things like uh, Hillary indicted and Hillary. Uh, caught in weapons scandal and things like that. And people yeah. in the United States believe it. Sure. Is, is that surprising? Well, I think it's, I think it's, I think that people listening now will be surprised at the number of things they see that they think are news stories that are not, that are generated either by people trying to influence elections or just kids somewhere trying to make money. Well, what about, okay, so you don't have to go to Macedonia. What about the Justin Kohler in, 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 uh, right near me in Los Angeles? One guy, he set up a whole slew of fake news websites, and he was publishing totally, you know, bogus stories. Just one, one guy. And he, then he had some people who were also kind of like, you know, part-time stringers writing stories for him and so on, and he had a revenue-sharing model, and he was selling advertising on his websites. The guy was taking in like thirty to forty—I don't know, thirty to forty thousand dollars a month, I think he said, with his with publishing these, you know, fake stories. One guy, one guy in Culver City. So, I don't need two hundred people in Macedonia. That's true. <laughs> it just isn't that hard. Is, are you on Facebook? Is it worth it to you to be on Facebook? No, I don't really use Facebook very much myself. No. All right. I guess the, the, I don't, I don't the, really the reason that I have you on is to try to have you help me make people understand that they should not get their news from Facebook. And two-thirds of the people in the United States get their news from Facebook, and they make key decisions like who to vote for based on fake news that was either generated as just an attempt to make money or an attempt to sway 
elections, etc. And the algorithm well, of Facebook, the thing that makes it so powerful is the thing that makes it so dangerous, and that is that violent and over-the-top rhetoric gets distributed more and therefore goes to the top of the news feed, and more people see it. Yeah, but you know, the, so part of the interesting question, though, is you know, why do people believe these things? Why do, you know, there was a famous con man from the last century who made the observation that the absolutely essential ingredient of a good con is a willing victim. So the reason you have to ask is why people buy these stories is because, well, in many cases, they actually want to believe them. That's, that, that's one of the things that makes this kind of thing so easy to do. Right. Is that yet people want to believe these things. I mean, there's lots of studies that show that people are much more ready to believe, you know, exaggerated violent stories than they are nice stories about nice things happening. Right. Because just your psychology is designed for you to relate more to that. It has more stickiness. It has more impact on you. So, of course, it's easier to sell this kind of stuff. And then, of course, if you do sort of community segmentation where you identify communities which, which, where you can figure out what their, what their hot buttons are in those individual communities. And you can do that today on a large scale automatically. You yeah. can do all sorts of community segmentation, right? And then all I have to do is craft the stories in such a way that it will appeal to those communities. And then I know that you know, I've written the story in such a way that the people are – it's something they would want to buy. Exactly. So, we give so that them makes the, my job easy. We give them the tools with which to mislead us. Not necessarily Facebook, but the uh, yeah. people that are um, misusing Facebook. What I what I sense is that it, really it's uh, that you believe, and probably rightfully so, that you know you can blame Facebook, but really the blame is with us. Am I correct? Uh, yes. I mean, at the end of the day, yes. I'm afraid so. I mean, they they provide a tool, but it it can be used and it can be abused. And you know, the question is. You know, are they responsible for policing it? Well, you know, it, let's face it, it's a, it's a business. You're not paying to use the service, not with not with money anyway. So, I mean, you know, you know, you take somebody like Mark Zuckerberg, right? I mean, the guy, he's not an elected official. He is not a public servant. So why would you expect him to be those things? I mean, he's running a business. The guy at the end of the day is responsible to his board of directors and to the shareholders. I mean, and that's what he that's what he has to do. So we can talk about corporate responsibility and everything else. But, and, and, of course, I would, I'm all in favor of encouraging that kinds of thing. And there's lots of people who try to encourage corporations to take more social responsibility. But at the end of the day, you can't depend on that. 100, if, you, if you're completely dependent on that 100% to keep you safe, then you're, then you're, you're making a big mistake. Right. Okay. Right. So perhaps we don't realize, we, most of us don't realize what we're sacrificing. And I, I think this documentary goes, uh, the Facebook dilemma goes a long way to making us understand that. I almost feel like people don't want to know. Do you get that sense too? Yes, of course. It's inconvenient. Because first of all, suppose they actually knew and they really understood what they're going to do about it. Most people aren't in a position really to do much about it anyway. Simply not I mean, use Facebook <laughs> would be the thing to do. But I say we're beyond that as a society we have to now. Well, I'm saying that, you know, you can't put everything on Facebook. The information environment is much bigger than Facebook. Right. Right. So and the information environment is being polluted by, you know, through, you know, lots and lots and lots of different sources, not only Facebook. Facebook is one player and there are many, many others. 
I mean, you have newspapers across the country, you have radio shows, you have television, you have um, other social media platforms besides Facebook, you have, you know, websites, you have blog, you know, blog postings. You have, it's, there's all sorts of ways people are getting information. And the information or misinformation or disinformation, whichever the case, whichever the case may be, is coming from so many different places that is really, really hard to, you know, to just to, to think that you can point the finger at one of them and say, if I, if I could just solve that problem, then I've solved the problem. Well, no. Even if, even if you shut Facebook down tomorrow, you would not solve the problem. So where should we get our information? Well, you know, that, that's for everybody to decide who they're going to trust. Who do you who do you trust? You're, you you know what's going on. Who do you trust? Well, I read many sources. Okay, I read lots of I read many different kinds of newspapers. I listen, I you know I I follow many different types of social media sites. You know, I so so I get my information from many many sources. But on the other hand, that's my business. So I have the, I have the time and I and the, and this and you know and the skill to do that. But unfortunately, most people don't. The idea so, of a trusted so example, media source. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say that, you know, one of the things people are talking about on how to solve the problem of disinformation, you know, one of the things they put, across, they, they put up media literacy training. Well, you know, I'm sorry, but, I mean, media literacy training, will get you, I mean, it's certainly a good thing to do as much as you can, but to believe that that's going to solve the problem is just, I mean, naive in the extreme. I mean, you know, how many people have the time or the inclination, or even if they took a course in media literacy in high school, really are in a position to do this in a super effective way. Okay, you can certainly improve everybody's ability to some extent, but for most people, they won't have the resources to deal with this on a large scale. So media literacy training is not going to be the answer. It's a good thing to do. I'm absolutely I'm for it, but to believe that that's going to solve your right. problem in the large is naive, I'm afraid. Well, there's definitely, a, there's definitely a niche in the market for media outlets to actually concentrate on facts. I mean, there has to be. I mean, people make money at that. It's a thing people want. There's got to be a way to figure out which of the outlets are those. Is there a way to do that? Um, well, I mean, for, 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 you know, for most people, that's a very difficult thing to do. Right. Okay. And there's no... There's nobody getting behind it. And, you know, it used to be people would put their trust, you know, in the New York Times or the Washington Post right. or some other big, big newspapers. But, uh, you know, it's getting more and more difficult. Right. I really... even, even these kinds of organizations are falling victim to all sorts of hoaxes. I mean, they do as, as careful as I mean, think about it, as careful as they are and as many checkers as they have. They still fall victim to these things. I really appreciate your insight on this. It's, it's kind of eye-opening. It looks like we all have a lot of work to do. We have some individual, individual responsibility to really vet what we pay attention to. Sir, I really appreciate your time. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. There you go. There's another episode of the Jay Talking Podcast. Follow me on Twitter for show updates. If you loved what you heard, like and review the show. It helps others find us. And as always... You can catch the show live, Jay Talking Live, every weeknight starting Sunday, midnight to 5 on WBZ, Boston's News Radio.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.